So that was a little snippet of the big event that we did on Good Friday. Uh, there was uh, roughly about 270 students from, at least that we know of, over 12 different youth groups in the area. And the goal was we go and we pack at least 10,000 meals for families to send overseas. And I think we got like 10,100 and something meals packed. So it was just really, really awesome. And I mean, it, it took... To do something like that, I mean, it took months of planning with a whole bunch of youth pastors from around the area, um, and that we, I mean, everything went flawless. I mean, we couldn't ask for a better event. We got along really great in planning and organizing. Every uh, leader uh, of th- these different youth groups have a different area, and this is just a, a small taste of what we're trying to get the ball rolling in our area, and we have a lot of big vision, a lot of big plans in the future, and that event was, I mean, it was student Led. We had students come up, do all the emceeing and, and games and things. And then that was a senior from PHS who delivered the message, and she did a phenomenal job. And it was just so awesome. We shared the vision that we have for this area, for these youth ministries and stuff. So that was just a little snippet of, of kind of the momentum that we're going here. And, and, of course, you're seeing these kids up on stage today and just the, the outcome that has of that. So thank you so much for being here this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm going to hit us with... Uh, some really tough stuff this morning. Um, so put your steel-toed boots on and be ready. So, because I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had just one of those days? I think Matt's thinking about that today. Like, this just want to be one of those days. But have you had one of those days? Like, it's just, it's one thing after another. And, and just, you, you might get a moment where you catch your breath, you might catch a break, and then you get hit with another crisis or some other situation that throws you off. Well, I found this illustration online, and it really speaks to this and then some. Uh, this guy shares kind of having this, this one of those days type of scenario, except it was actually over a span of like three months. So you, you kind of you feel for this guy, and then you also kind of feel better about your situation right now maybe. So I want to I read this. It starts in August 28th. After 10 days of a back and forth, we canceled a camping trip that we've been planning since the end of May. Too much drama with other people who were going. A lot of you guys know that, drama and camping, right? September 1st, I was told that my company was going to fire two people and put cuts in place across the board. I took a 50% pay cut and had to tell my last full-time employee that he was also taking a 50% pay cut. Then we fired the consultant who had been working for us for four years. Two hours later, a fire started in my neighborhood. September 2nd. The fire got close enough that we had to evacuate for a few hours. Just when I thought we were fine, there was a flare-up at my neighbor's, which, if it caught, would have burned straight down to my house. Thankfully, they knocked it down. September 25th. We determined that we'd have to cut the company down to just four people. I took an additional pay cut, bringing me to 33% of my original salary. October 2nd, woke up to discover that the water heater in the attic was leaking into my roommate's bedroom. We had no water at all for eight days until it was repaired. October 18th, found out that the car I'd been hanging on to for 19 years was severely damaged to the tune of about $3,500 to repair. October 26th, After two and a half weeks of stressing over interviewing at a company my mom didn't want me to work at, I finally received an offer that was significantly lower 
than expected. After a weekend of additional stressing, I turned it down, which led to an additional two days of breaking up with them. November 4th. Finally started repairs on drywall damage when the water heater broke. This would require two additional appointments over the next two weeks before it was finally finished. November 16th. Sold the car. CarMax had, no, had zero interest in passing along the 19 years of service notes, original sticker, etc., to the next owner. December 3rd, we turned off the company website. Six years of work gone. December 5th, a second fire breaks out to the north of the house. We would be effectively trapped in the house until the evening of the 7th. December 15th, my official last day of work. December 28th, a third fire breaks out up the street. That's rough. And, and, and to span so long over Thanksgiving and, de- and, and Christmas, I mean, you talk about a, a day, right? Uh, th- this really just goes above and beyond the example and the story I want to share this morning. How we see a very similar situation where this question, you know, one of these days kind of pops in the mind of David in 1 Samuel. Now, I love David. I love his story. I love ta- reading about his mighty men and the warriors that God surrounded him with and their, their amazing feats that they performed and, and, and servicing God and things. And, and so I love talking about David. These guys probably get tired of me talking about David, but it's just so many cool things to, to pull out from that. And here's one situation where at the end of it, David's just like, it was just one of those days. You see, leading up to this point, you know, the increasingly unstable King Saul had been hunting David, wanting to try to kill him, right? So David had led his loyal men and their families to seek shelter in enemy territory. It's kind of dangerous, but makes sense. He's been running around his own land for all his time, and Saul keeps hunting him down. So, hey, if I go into enemy territory, it's less likely Saul can track me down and come after me. But in doing so, he is now playing this dangerous game of double cross with one of the Philistines' king there, uh, Achish. Now, he had gained Achish's trust because what David and his men would go do and and loot and plunder and, and defeat people, David is actually defeating God's enemies and an enemy of his people. Achish didn't care. He's just bringing back some loot for King Achish, and that's all it's good. So it's like this treading softly between being in enemy territory but not, you know, getting attention drawn to him and the whole Philistine army come down on him. So, it, it, I mean, it's this, but it's the same way they've established a life. And so in chapter 29, the Philistines were preparing to attack the Israelites. No surprise there. It's an everyday thing for Philistines, right? But Achish sends David and his men home because the other rulers didn't trust him. Makes sense. Strategically, we can't go face the Israelites when we have an uh, Israelite, traitor or not, kind of watching our flank or watching our rear. You know, just, I don't think we trust David as much. So, you know, they also heard uh, this, this same saying that was said way before of, you know, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So this, 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 this reputation has carried, even the Philistines know about it. So they're like, we, we can't have David, and we can't have David around. So Achish had to send him home. So this is, 
now a three, about a three-day journey, probably almost nonstop, because we've all been on trips, and we're on our way home. You, you just, you're there, right? You just, oh, you're almost there. Let's just, just go home. We don't need pee breaks. Let's just go. You don't need to eat. We'll just go. We're almost home. Come on. I, I, the light just came on. We have plenty of time to get home. We don't need gas. I mean, you're almost there. So you, the, 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 the feeling of just let's just push through to get home faster is there. So I could probably imagine that David and his men are like, man, we're going home. Let's, they've been campaigning for a while probably, and so they're excited. So they probably don't rest that much on their way home. But when they return home, they find it on fire, ransacked, and their family's kidnapped by their other enemy. Talk about a day. I mean, they're exhausted already. They come into their town and they find their city burning. And now they find all their loved ones gone and so on and so on. So what we're going to look at this morning as we dive into the scriptures, we're going to look at how David handled that situation, how he responded to it. Keep in mind how his men responded to a lot of these circumstances and how they reacted to it. And think about how you would. Think about how you would respond and react to it. One thing I want you to think about first, how we react to the circumstances in our life reveals a lot about our faith or the lack thereof. How we react or respond to these burning city type of scenarios in our life really speaks a lot about our faith. Really, really just hones in a lot about where we stand. How strong are we? What do we rely on? What are we putting our faith into? So think about that as we read. But first, let's pray and, 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 and ask God into the scripture this morning. God, I thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for as we are here today, worshiping and fellowshipping you and honoring so many wonderful graduates, God. And be with us this morning as we dive into your word. We look at David. We look at his men. We look at this situation where it's one thing after another. But God, we pay close attention to how David and his men responded to these situations and how you would have us respond to those similar situations in our life. So we ask that you open up our hearts and minds to the the hearing and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning. We give you all the praise and glory. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, says here, David and his men reached Ziklag, that's their homeland, that's their home, on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. We've all been there probably. (laughs) Wept until we had nothing left, right? David's two wives had been captured. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Now, one thing I want to point out here, just just something that, that makes me think. What would it have been like if David hadn't been sent back when he did? What, what, what could have been the result 
if Achish didn't sin, if the rulers didn't trust, if they trusted him or didn't trust him, whatever, and they didn't send him home when they did, what would have happened? I know a lot of cynics out there would be like, well, you, if you serve an almighty God, all-knowing and, and loving, then he really would have sent David and his men home three days earlier, and none of that would have ever happened, right? True, good point. But you got to see the story. you got to see the story through to the end to see that it doesn't matter when David and his men got there. God still would have prevailed. He still would have come through. And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to the end of this story. But it just makes me think, like, what would have happened? What, 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 how, how would it have been different? I mean, it's just, it's, it, to me, you can't tell me that God wasn't in that moment. That they sent David and his men home at the time that needed. So David comes into this. And, and is it bad? Yes. But we're going to see how David responds to this. Because a lot of us, we face those moments like that. Maybe not literally, but we've had those burning, burning city moments, right? We're going through life, and we come across a situation, and it's like our city's burning. It's just like everything's just crashing down around us. We've had those kind of situations. So let's see how David reacted. Verse 6 says, David was greatly distressed, obviously. But look at why. Because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. So you know, these men, they, they've been trekking for three days. They come across this terrible sight. And David's come across it. And this is, he's the leader of the people, right? This is his city. This is what they've built. And not only is his family missing, but it, the, the, all the family and everything of his men, which he cares about, is missing. So he's got all this coming down on him. And you look at the situation and the men want to stone him. Why? Well, you, you see, people will react poorly and create these misperceptions when they're in pain. When we hurt, when we're suffering something, it's easy for us to react very poorly and connect dots that shouldn't be connected and have these misperceptions when we're in that much pain. People will look to others to blame for things outside of our control. Because look at this. I mean, these men chose to follow David way back, way back when. They, they came to David. They chose to follow him. They knew where he stood. They knew the goals. They chose to fight for and with him. They even followed him into enemy territory. Now, maybe they weren't 100% fine with it, but they still went. And now they want to blame David and, thirst and stone him. Why? What did he do? Maybe because they're off raiding or, or during campaign and not I, I, Who knows? But this is what happens when people are in pain. They react very poorly. But look at David's reaction. He says, he says that at the end of this, he says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. You see, he tapped in to God's strength. He tapped in to God's strength, just as he always did. So to even face what's in front of us, we have to seek strength from God. I mean, that's what David chose. 
I mean, he could have done a number of different things at this moment. And probably a lot of people wouldn't blame him. I mean, we don't even blame the men wanting to stone him. I mean, you, you know, I mean that's just, we, we, we have those feelings inside of ourselves. But look what David chose to do. He found strength in God. So we need to seek that strength when we're in those burning city moments of our life. But what's cool is that David doesn't stop here. He didn't just, okay, he sought the strength of God and his reaction, his response to this continues to be really amazing. So in verse seven, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them. He answered, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Wouldn't we all love a straight response from God like that? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? He does sometimes. He does. I know he does. So we look at this. David's continued response and reaction to this is, is, is not to roll over and quit or to die or let the stoning happen. He seeks strength from God, and then he, he turns to God. So he asked Abiathar the priest, who he has with him all the time, to bring out the ephod. Now, the most well-known understanding of what the ephod is, is that it's the sacred garment to be worn. Um, it really comes out of Exodus and Leviticus, when God is uh, instructing um, Moses on exactly the preparations uh, Aaron is to take for this priestly service at the beginning uh, in the Old Testament. You know, it includes how to even wash himself, how to, what to wear. And this ephod is a part of that. And a lot that kind of goes with that something, some other items, is a breast piece, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. I mean, it goes in great detail back in Exodus and Leviticus of, of um, you know, God describing the ephod and, and, and all these procedures. So this is a sacred garment, something sacred that, that David always consulted. He always had with him, and, and that's how, what he would use and what he would do when he's trying to discern what to do next. And so he brought it out. And, and look, at what, um, look at what he's doing. He, he's asking this question, number one, should I even pursue him? Should I even go after him? It's question number one. I mean, you think in David's position, he wouldn't even want to ask that question. I'm going, I don't care, you know, but no. He's asking God, should I even? Seems kind of, whew, kind of harsh, because it's his family we're talking about and the family of his men, but he's asking God, should I even pursue? And then he goes on and asks him, will I overtake them? Big, big question there. We, we want to kind of know that, right? And then, of course, we know God's response. Pursue them, Yes. And you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So you got you to gotta admit, this, this conversation and, and, and seeking God's discernment kind of renewed his strength. And that renewed strength rallied his men. It, it, it backed him up. And, and that's a really crucial difference. When we go through our lives and, and we have these burning sitting moments... Our reaction to that, how we respond, speaks volumes. It is so crucial. Because you know this, we live in a world where we are under a microscope. And this world is looking for moments that we mess up 
And they're also looking for moments of when you're suffering something, how do you handle that? I thought you served a God who's loving and forgiving and can do anything. Nothing, everything's, nothing's impossible, right? Well, then why are you quitting? Why are you giving up? Why are you doing this or that? We live in a world, and so our reaction, our response to how this burning city moments come to our life, they speak volumes to the world outside. And so that's why it's crucial. So looking at David's response to just up until this point is showing his men, hey, I'm seeking strength in God. I'm, 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 I'm trusting in him. I've consulted him. I've discerned my next step. And so this is my response. They, they see that. I mean, there's nothing else in scripture that, that said he didn't like, well, I'll give you more gold if you come. I mean, he didn't persuade them in any other way. It just says his strength rallied his men. Because now they went from wanting to stone him to, okay, let's go get him. What, what changed? Well, he felt very strong. He felt very motivated. He felt very confident because God has given him the direction to go. So that response rallied his men. So verse 9, David and the 600 men with him came to the Bethsor Valley where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. This is rough. I mean, these men went all that journey to come home, find this overwhelming thing. They go to pursue, and 200 of them just, they, they, they can't go any further. You're kind of like, well, I mean, it's your family. Are you quitting? It's, it's hard to really think of that, that you would just quit. I mean, to a lot of us, we're like, I don't care how tired I am, I'm going. But, it, you know, this is the difference here. But even with losing so many men, right, even with losing so many men, they continue without question. Because what was, what was God's response to David? Pursue them and you will succeed, but you have to have 600 men. No. There's no number set to that. David knew that God gave him the strength and and, and his response to to discerning from God and what you want to do, that was what he needed to do. And he needed to keep pursuing that. He's not going to stop or hang it up just because another crisis hit. Oh, I lost men. What am I going to do now? No. He kept pursuit in God's will. And that's what we need to do. We got to keep pursuit especially when we know something's at stake, right? And there's something at stake in this situation. There's always something at stake in our situations. If God is, if we've consulted God and he's discerned what we need to do, we gotta see it through all the way in. We can't quit. We can't stop. We can't, I don't care how exhausted we are, whatever else comes our way, we gotta keep going because that's what David did. He, he kept that pursuit of God's will. So then what happens is that he, they, they come across this Egyptian slave that was, he, he, was, one, he was ill and, and, and he belonged to the Amalekites and they just kind of dropped him because you know, it was bad, extra baggage. They find him, they, they feed him, they, whatever they do, they get him, make him feeling better and then they interrogate him and they find out who he is and where he's coming from and, and David asks him, can you, can you take us to them? So then in verse 16, he, uh, this Egyptian slave led David down 
And there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of Philistines and from Judah. They thought they were, they were golden. I mean, they come into Ziklag, no defense. David and his men are not there, so there's hardly any defense. Ransack it easily. They take off, and there's no one left behind to really go after them. So they thought they had it made. They thought they got away. So they're very prideful in this situation, and they're partying and celebrating. Verse 17, David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. I mean, marching and all that time, dealing with the internal emotional grief, and then going into chasing down this enemy, and then fighting for over a day. And none of them got away except 400 young men and rode off on camels and fled. Look at that. How many, how many fled 400? How many men did David have? 400. Now, you look at numbers. I mean, that's one-on-one, right? Now, we don't know how many David and his men are already defeated that caused his 400 to flee. But there's 400 of David's men and 400 that fled. I'm pretty sure there's probably more than that there to begin with. You think odds were in their favor. But David and his men came down because God was with them. And it caused 400 men to flee. You can think about a few, but 400 to flee. I don't know what to say about that. That's, that's, to me, that's impressive. So, um, so then what happens is those 400 flee. And David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives, Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men, drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. There's nothing left to say except that God always comes through, doesn't he? David kept pursuit in God's will, and it came through. He recovered everything. Odds against him, exhaustion, grief, he kept pursuit and gained everything back. Nothing was missing, missing, nothing was damaged. Everything was there and then some. And they, the men were saying, this is David's plunder. So now in 21, it says, Then David came to 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and were left behind at the Basor Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. I want to highlight this for a second. David just came from a battle. He's exhausted, reclaimed everything. He comes up to these men who stayed behind and were resting and chilled. He comes up to them and says, how are you doing? How are you? Doesn't make sense, does it? This is who David is. This is who God made him. This is a man after God's own heart. Is that after all he's going through, He's still coming up to these other men and says, how, how are you doing? How are you? I think that's profound. So he goes up to them and asks them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go with us, we will not share within the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered us into our hands, the raiding party that came against us. 
Who will listen to what you say? To share the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All were sure alike. David acts so differently than the other men. I mean, it's right. I mean, look at what those men said. I mean, they didn't go and battle. They, they quit. They gave up. They didn't keep pursuit. Why should they get any plunder? Sure, we're giving them their families back, but that's it. But David's like, nuh-uh. That's not how God is, right? That's not how God is, is instructing him to live and to be. He said, no. We can't do that. All will share alike. And, and this is coming, David's reacting this way, even after these, probably these same men were wanting to stone him before they even left, right? These troublemakers. He made that law to th- those that guarded supplies were just as important as those that fought in the battle. Do we have that same mentality towards others? Do we look at others, at what they do or what they don't do, and we judge them as unworthy? I tell you, you never know how God may use those that we deem insignificant. I mean, David is highlighting God's characteristic here and saying that these men are just as important as we went in battle. We're going to share alike. We're not going to judge them based upon what they did or didn't do. We're not going to deem them unworthy from certain things. That's not how God operates in this world. That's not what he intends for us. And there's always going to be people who think others should or shouldn't get what they deserve. There's always going to be people out there. We're probably like that too. And we can't do that. So look at how this story kind of comes to an end here. David consulted God. He regains everything that was lost. He shares with those that didn't stick with him or even doubted him. God prevailed, not just on the battlefield, but off of it as well. Because David was living as God intended him to live, in good times and in bad times. He followed God in battle and he listened and he did all those things. And then when he's off the battlefield, he's still living as God would would intend him to do. How are you doing? No, we're all going to share alike. doesn't matter if they stay behind or not. Everyone gets everything the same. He lived as God intended us to live on the battlefield and off. We need to be consistent in the good times and the bad times. We can't be one or the other. It's easy for us to come across, it. we're in a situation, and oh, it's understandable for them to react that way. Oh, man, they're, they're dealing with so much. I get it, it's understandable. Uh-uh. We might be allowed time to grieve, we're allowed time to mourn, but we still live as God intended us to live on and off the battlefield, in and out of those tough situations right? David won on that battlefield and he continued to to live as God would even off of it. Now how easy it is for us sometimes to turn against God and each other the moment something doesn't fit our design. When that happens, our minds are made up. There's no changing it. Even if God is still working wonders around us or in that person or in that situation, but we're going to be unable to see it or trust it. It's frustrating. 
We know people like that. We're, we're probably, that's happened to us before. Something happens, doesn't fit our design. Our minds are made up. These misperceptions, I'm reacting poorly to a terrible situation. And now I can't see God moving in or around that person. Why? I choose not to. I can't trust it. We can't, we can't have eyes like that. We can't have vision that way. And this story is proof of that. God continues to come through and to work even in all these terrible situations, one right after another. They, they blame David. But look at the end. David came through. Why? Because God blessed him. If these men kept their eyes closed and be like, no, this is David. I don't care. You can't change my mind. No, 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 no. That's how we react. Why? Because we're hurt. Our opinions were offended. I'm going through a lot right now. And we can't see God work wonders around, around us or around that situation, around that person. And we tend to judge people based on their actions or inactions. And so we're so quick to react poorly when situations seem so terrible. We need to live as God intended us to live on and off the battlefield. We can't judge people or situations because they don't fit the design we thought they should. We need to be able to see God work and move and, and, and operate in and through and around those things. That's why it's so important for these graduates today and for us when we're having one of those days and the burning cities of our lives seem so terrible. We need to be like David. The praise team's gonna come up and they're gonna have a time of song here. And as they sing, this is what we need to make sure we're like David. We need to seek strength when everything goes south. We gotta seek the strength from God, God alone. We gotta let that renewed strength guide our reaction and our response to those times. Because that's what help us, helps us know what to do next. And it also allows others to see us properly. Because like I said earlier, they're watching us. How we react and respond to the crisis in our life is going to speak volumes. We can, we can preach the gospel. We can shine that light. But when, the, when everything hits the fan in our life, how do we react? Do we keep pursuit in God's will all the way through, even when another crisis hits us? Or do we stop? Or do we give up? And people will notice if we do or not. And they'll notice that if we're living a life on the battlefield, the same as we're living it off. And coming from somebody who spent a majority of his high school years living two lives, you gotta be consistent. You gotta live as God intended us to live in good times and bad, the ups and downs. You gotta be consistent we're going to have burning cities in our lives. They're not going to stop. They're going to keep coming, one right after another. But that's why we serve a holy God. If we consult him, we seek strength from him. Their cities can keep on coming and keep on burning and we're going to keep pursuing. We're going to keep coming through. And I want to be, I want to be like David. I want to be beaten, torn, battered, struggled, 
I want all that, and I want to go up to my friend and say, how are you doing? How are you today? What can I do for you? That's the life of Christ right there. I want to be that guy. I want that to shine off the battlefield. So I hope this is encouraging to you. And I hope it challenges you. Because if we do anything in this life and we're not challenged, we're not trying hard enough. We're not pursuing God hard enough. Because this life is supposed to be challenging. God tells us this life isn't easy. We know we're gonna have burning cities in our life. And if we're not challenged to grow and to strengthen in that, what are we doing? Where are we at? Like my earlier question, how we react and respond to these circumstances in our life speak a lot about our faith or the lack thereof. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your message. God, thank you for this time of of just encouraging students and young people, Lord. And, And as we look at this story, God, we look at the burning cities in our life. We look at the struggles. We look at the hardships, God. We just look to you. Everything we talked about, God, we, we want to we pursue that 100%. And God, there are people in this room, there are people in this building, outside this building, there are people that, that love and care about us, God, that are there for us when the times are tough. And we can lean on them, we can, we can get encouragement and advice from them, God, but regardless of that, Lord, we are pursuing your will in our lives, God. We are living as you intended us, on and off the battlefields, in good times and bad, because that's the way you intended us to live, God. And you are there all the way with us. We just have to trust God. Let's not react poorly to bad situations and, and, and have these misperceptions, God, so we are blind to you working. Let us open our eyes, open our hearts to you working in our lives and those around us, God, so that we can move mountains. Thank you so much who you are and what you do in our lives, God. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.